The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Listen, before we get into our text, I I do want to give a quick announcement. Uh, last week, we met outside at this great pavilion out there. It was a great time. The weather was perfect. Um, we want to do it again. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, next week, we're going to do it again. We're going to meet outside. Uh, good. Um, and um, along with that, though, one of the missed opportunities we felt is we didn't eat together. And um, so what we're going to do this time... Now that we know we can actually do church out there, um, what we're going to do is we're going to have our service. We're going to preach the gospel, sing the gospel, come together, and then we are going to have a meal together. Um, the way this is going to work, it's kind of complicated kind of coming out of the season we, that we've been in. We haven't eaten together in a long time now. I don't even want to do the math on this. Um, but what we're going to do to, to make this work is, as a church, we're going to provide the meat. So we're going to grill. We're going to do some hamburgers and hot dogs. Um, and we encourage you to come, maybe bring a side that you love. Uh, we're going br- to provide waters, but if you have some drinks that you really enjoy, you can bring those. Um, and we're just going to have a good time. We're going to have picnic after church, and you are welcome to stay and join us. We're going to have a great time. There's no agenda other than community, okay? So I want to invite you next week, don't come in here, keep driving, go back there, and and we'll meet on outside next week, Um, and it looks like the weather is going to be awesome again. I say that it could, you know, change by the end of this service, but right now it looks like it's going to be a great, a great day, so. All right, let's get into our text. Um, Listen. Patience is hard. <laughs> patience is, it's really hard. And, and some of us may be more patient than others, but for all of us, I think we can use just a little more, a little more patience. Uh, it's hard, though, because in so many ways, it doesn't come natural to us all the time. I mean, just think of our relationships for a moment. Think of our marriages. Think of our being parents, being a friend, uh, being a part of a church family. Patience. Patience. Um, This is often where patience is tested because maybe it's just me, but I'm a fixer. I like to fix things. I like to control things. I like to get in and get it done. And and patience often calls us to, to slow down. And, and we can get frustrated and we just want to move on to something else. But, but patience is so important. Um, as Christians also, just as we get into this, we also know that patience is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. So in Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Um, so we know, here's the crazy thing, is this is a fruit of, of God in our life. So, so here's, here's the way we can think about this. Although these things don't come naturally to us, although patience doesn't come naturally maybe to, to you, um, it is the character of our God. 
And the fruit of the Spirit, the way I think about the fruit of the Spirit is us better imaging him. Better being like him. Um, In other words, it's how he showcases himself through us. Uh, So coming back to patience. Our God is patient. Our God is is patience. In, in, in fact, the, I would argue that one of the most predominant um, themes that we find in Scripture is the patience of God. Looking back at the Old Testament, there is this phrase that's on repeat. Um, it comes, I, I pulled up Psalm 145.8, but you can pull up so many other places. The Lord is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That phrase, that little nugget, is all throughout the Old Testament. I mean, you see it in Numbers, Exodus, Nehemiah. You see it in all over the Psalms, Lamentation, Joel, Jonah, Nahum. It's all over the place. I could name more. But here's the deal. Throughout all of history, the people of God have called out to God while resting on the fact that he is, in fact, slow to anger. That he is gracious, merciful, abounding in steadfast love. The people of God have rested on the fact that God is patient. I believe that the patience of God is one of the predominant characteristics of God that we not only see in this, but that we see in our lives. But as amazing as God's patience is, as we get into this text, um, as perfect as it is, Church, we are a fickle people, and our relationship to God's patience is complicated. Based, uh, here, here's the way you can think about it. On one hand, we love it. We rely on it. We need it. We exist because of his patience. We would have no hope without his patience. If God wasn't patient with us, we know what we would be, where we would be. We rely on it. We love it on the one hand. And yet, on the other hand, we despise it. We despise it because we think so many times he should act quicker. We should, he should act quicker, move sooner. God, how could you just sit and do nothing? How can you tolerate them? How can you put up with those people, those boneheads? How could you do it? How could you be patient? Where is your justice? Where is your wrath? So on the one hand, we love it. We rely on it. And on the other hand, we despise it. We love his patience when it is shown to us and our failings or the failings of those who we love. And yet we despise it when it's shown to all of the other heathens that have outworn their patience or my patience for them. When I think, God, you should do something. We cry, in other words, we cry out for God's unending patience with us. And yet so many times as our patience runs low for others, it's easy to flip and say, God, bring the brain, bring the justice, bring the, bring it. We have a complicated relationship with patience. We really, really do. Um, If you have your Bibles, Open with me to Romans 9. We're going to continue there. While you're getting there, if you're not yet there, um, last week, as we've been working through Romans 9, we took just a, a, a quick detour through an Old Testament story together. 
Um, And last week, as we looked at Romans 9, we also spent a little time looking at Job, the story of Job, the book of Job. And, And what I loved about this is as we were looking at Romans 9, and this stuff is heavy, and we're processing through what God's word is saying, what I love is Job reminded us that this is not new. This is not something new to God, that God has been God, and he's been the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we saw it right there in Job. Well, I'm gonna seek to do that again. Not with Job this time, but we're gonna take another Old Testament trip as we land in Romans 9. Uh, This time, we are gonna be looking at the life, the story, the book, very briefly, of Jonah. You remember Jonah? Jonah is an oddball prophet. It's a weird dude. Jonah, the book, it's a cautionary tale more than anything. Jonah is this, 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 in this book, God calls Jonah to go to a certain people to call him to repent. Uh, and, and so two things that we, you need to see when we look at Jonah is, is, one, Jonah was a prophet. And prophets were God's mouthpiece. They were the ones that God would call out and say, go and share my message in full. Don't modify it. Go. He was a prophet. He was God's mouthpiece. That's who Jonah was. And number two is that the people to whom God was calling him to go, they were enemies. They were ruthless. They were terrible. And so in this book, you have God calling Jonah, his prophet, his man, his mouthpiece, to go to these ruthless people and to call them to repent. Only Jonah does not want to go. He does not want to go. More than that, he runs or sails in the completely different direction than where God was calling him to go. Just like runs. And so Jonah, as you read the book, he's not the good guy in his own book. Right? He's not like, I want to be like Jonah one day. He doesn't come off that way as you read this book. So he runs off. He sails off in the other direction. But God is so patient toward Jonah. And through the storm, through the fish, God gets Jonah to where he needs him to be to deliver the message he has for him to deliver. And eventually, Jonah does. And this is funny. We're not going to read this. But it's such a, like a half-hearted call to repent. It's like, fine, <laughs> repent or die. I'm going home. It's kind of the gist of Jonah's, Jonah's gospel presentation. And, and here's what's crazy is the unthinkable happens and these people hear it. Revival breaks out in the city. The Ninevites repent. The city turns to the Lord. And it's this moment of rejoicing. Except for Jonah. Jonah is upset. And you know why he is upset. I want to hone in on this. Here's what the text says. As we finish the the third chapter of Jonah, it says, when God saw what they did, the repentance, how they turned away from their evil, God relented of the disaster that he had um, said that he would do to him, and he did not do it. And then listen to this as we start into chapter four, first verse, he says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. This is crazy. God, you just showed your patient love toward an entire people, sparing them from destruction, and now I am mad. Then he goes on to say, O Lord, is is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. In other words, that's why I ran the other way. Why? 
For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. There's our phrase again. Jonah says, this is exactly why I ran, God, because I knew you. I knew that you are patient. I knew your character. I knew the patience that you have shown to me, and I ran so that you would not show that same patience with them. Not many of us right now, I'm not going to call for it, would shoot up their hands and say, yeah, I relate to that. But in a sense, how relatable is this? That God, thank you for the patience that you have shown with me, had with me, but can you do me a favor and not show quite that same amount to them? Our relationship with God's patience is often complicated. And I want to bring out one more verse, one more from Jonah before we get to Romans, because this is going to bring us right into the door, all right? Jonah pouts. He is pouting hard. So what happened is after he drops the repent or die and then leaves, he goes and he sits on this hill and he just overlooks the city and is pouting hard, just saying, great God, now I'm the prophet who saved our enemies. Now when everyone thinks about these wretched Ninevites, they're gonna think about me, the guy who spared them. And he's sitting on this hill, pouting hard. And the book ends in his little pouty fest, sitting under a plant. And under this plant, he's doing some of his best pouting. And in this moment, as he's sitting under the plant and getting the shade of the plant, the plant dies. Jonah's really having a bad day. And he's so frustrated, angry, hot, sweaty, just just a heap of mess was Jonah. It's not good for him. And at this moment, as Jonah now complains, not only about the patience he God had with Nineveh, but he's starting to complain about the plant now too. The book of Jonah ends with this. Jonah, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Then God says, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. In other words, God, in such patience with Jonah, looks at Jonah and says, you are not God. You are not sovereign. You did not create that plant, nor did you create those people. You weep over a plant, and you didn't even sustain it or create it. And then God reminds Jonah of his patient and long-suffering love, even for the people that Jonah despised. Which leads us back to the words of Romans 9, 21. Um, The the, the verse, actually, that that we read, that we worked through last week, that says, has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump, one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use. Here's what's happening. Jonah, you're not God. Jonah, you do not determine who is honorable and who is dishonorable. Jonah, you do not categorize people. Jonah, I am the potter, not you. Paul, in the same way, here to this ancient church in Rome, 
saying the same thing. Brothers, sisters, you do not determine who is honorable, who is dishonorable. That's not yours. You are the clay. He is the potter. You are not God. And then from that, Paul asks this what if question in our text today, verse 22. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. That's our text. We're going to go slower than I anticipated, and we're going to camp here. Um, In order for us to immerse ourselves in the word of God, immerse ourselves in this text, um, I think it's important for us to ask ourselves together some what-if questions that come from this text and uh, that flow from this text. And as we ask these rhetorical questions that flow from this text, um, they're most likely just going to do one of three things. Number one, they might sting a little bit. Number two, they might comfort a little bit. And number three, they might do a little bit of both. So let's immerse ourselves now into this text, into Romans. Let's immerse ourselves into this text, and let's let's do that by asking ourselves a few questions. And the first question is flowing from this text is this. What if God has a purpose and plan that you cannot see? What if, as we talked about the sovereignty of our God, what if there is something going on that's beyond what you understand or what you see? See, we've talked a lot about the sovereignty of our God, the fact that we can't fully comprehend him. In fact, last week, if, what we said is, if you think you can wrap your mind fully around God, fully understand Yahweh, it's n- he's not Yahweh. Because you cannot wrap your finite mind around the infinite. You can't. There will be gaps there. And because this is true, listen, the Christian life is a call to trust in God who loves us perfectly and fully, knows us perfectly and fully, and yet is not bound to tell you all of the details. Oh, I wish he would. Part of the Christian life is trusting in God who loves you and knows you fully and is not bound to tell you all the details of life and all of the mysteries of the faith. The Christian life is about trusting him in him who is beyond comprehension and even description. So as we look at our text today, it says, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make his power known, um, meaning what if there is a greater plan going on? What if God is desiring to do something? What if God is up to something through you that's bigger than you? What if God is up to something around you that is bigger than you? What if? Because church, he is. He is. Uh, I hope I'm not the first person to tell you this, but the world does not revolve around you. Oh, right? You are not the sovereign king. It's better than that. You're invited into a story that is well beyond and bigger than you. You're invited in 
He's up to something bigger. And guess what? You might not ever fully see or understand what that is. Not many of the giants of the faith in Scripture did. But he's up to something bigger in you, around you, and through you. Quick pause here. Um, This is so often the case when it comes to discipleship. Let me just highlight something really quick. So as a church, we're committed to discipleship. We absolutely are. We, we, this is what we do. Make disciples who make disciples. It's what we do. Um, but sometimes we can think about disciple making as a class that we take or a, a curriculum that we follow. Um, but so often, do you know what discipleship is? It's life on life. It's ordinary life in Christ bumping up against other ordinary lives in Christ. So often. Let me give you an example. Um, A a few nights, actually it was a couple weeks ago, we were playing a game uh, as a family. And uh, the game is kind of just set to be a conversation starter to get kids talking about Jesus and get families talking about Jesus together, which is great. And we were, we were um, coming around this game, and the game is simple. You have a card. There's one simple question. We go around answering it. And um, every one of my boys, they were answering questions, and we were all answering questions on our cards, and it got to one of my boys. And the question on his card was, who, has, who is someone who has shown you the love of Jesus? Without hesitation, do you know what my son said? Mr. Rick. Mr. Rick is, Rick Elizondo is one of our leaders, our deacons here. Um, at first, I thought, shouldn't you have said dad? Like, but <laughs> after I got past my flesh, um, I realized something. What an answer to prayer that response was. As his dad as his pastor, it is my prayer that the people around him would come alongside in discipleship of him. Mr. Rick has never set my kids down for a formal, this is how you follow Jesus curriculum. He's never come to my kids and taught them a class. He has simply lived his life in Uh, or around my son, just an ordinary life in Jesus. He has lived it, shown it, listened to him, invested. And it it just reminded me how much bigger God is than our plans. My kids, our kids, they're watching. They're watching our setup teams, our volunteers, and the way we serve each other, love each other, the way we do picnic together next week. And what if God is up to something bigger in your life? Uh, it's something that's just bigger than you. Because church, he is. He is. Here's my, my, my point with this, is that God has never come to me and said, Justin, I'm about to do something. Let me give you the reason why. Let me just lay this out for you. The reason I'm about to do this is I'm about to show my wrath, or the reason I'm about to do this, I'm, I'm about to show my power. The reason I'm about to do this is for this reason and then this reason. So just know going ahead, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. 
he does not give me the wise. But that's not because he doesn't have them. And it's not because all of this is meaningless and a shot in the dark. It's because he is sovereign. He has a purpose. He has a plan. He is the potter. And we are the clay. Here in our text, don't miss this. What if God, desiring to show his wrath, make his power known, um, make known his power, has endured with much patience, it says, uh, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy. What Paul is saying here is what if God is having patience in ways that you don't see or understand fully? What if he's enduring much so that he's going to make himself known to more? What if he's beyond, behind this? What if he has a plan? And what if it is bigger? This text invites us to ask, what if God has a purpose and plan that we cannot see? Because church, he does. Your life is a part of a bigger story. You are not an accident. The potter doesn't make mistakes. All of this has a why. And one day you might find out. But I'm not promising that. Today in the here and now, though, we can trust in the fact God has a purpose and a plan even when we can't see it because he is sovereign. So the first what-if question, the first rhetorical question is what if God has a purpose, a plan that we can't see? But there's a second one. This one might sting a little bit more. Um, what if God is showing his patience on people that you don't see as worthy? What if God right now is bearing with much patience, showering his mercy and patience on people we don't see as worthy. This text says, what if he's, he's desiring to show his wrath, make his power known, he's enduring with patience in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called. Would you hone in on this last statement? Not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. So can we just rewind a little bit to our pouting prophet sitting up on the hillside, looking down, pouting over a people who deserve judgment, but who God had the audacity to show patience to? At the heart of that is a heart problem. Jonah saw his own people as worthy of patience, or at least, if not fully worthy, at least more worthy of patience, worthier than them. These people are not worthy. They deserve death for what they've done. They deserve death for who they are. They are a pagan people who are ruthless, and they deserve death. Yet on the hillside looking down, Jonah now sees them worshiping and repenting, being forgiven. And Jonah sees God's patience that he is having on them that they do not deserve. So the question is this, what if God is showing patience on people who you don't see is worthy? Fast forward to the church in Rome. Right here in our text in Romans 9, we see the same struggle. 
We see between the Jew who had the law, who followed the law, and the Gentile who did not have the law, who did not follow the law, who were unclean. Surely they are not worthy, right? Paul reminds us, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. What if God is showing his patience on people who we don't see as worthy? Fast forward for us today, we love to divide. We live for division. We love having us's and them's. We are tribal to our core. We plead mercy and patience for us while judgment and justice for them. What if God is showing patience on a people who we don't think deserve it? What if you and I don't have the market cornered on God's patience? What if he's pouring it out in ways that are beyond our comprehension? And let me push this a little further, beyond our comfort. I said that Jonah was a cautionary tale because he is, because today we can so easily follow in his footsteps. Pronouncing judgment over people. To go back to our, the language of Romans, to, to think that we have the right and privilege and responsibility to distinguish between who is honorable and who is dishonorable. To think that's us. That's not you. That's not our job. I read the Gospels, um, and I read account after account of Jesus shattering barriers all the time in ways that makes us all uncomfortable. I mean, the lost, the outcasts, the broken, the all walks of life, tax collectors, going to those who are viewed by the culture as dishonorable but who Jesus looks and calls them to himself and makes them honorable. What if God, what if he is showing his patience on people who we don't think are worthy of it? Whether it be racism, classism, socioeconomic stuff, maybe just sins of the past and failures, No person is beyond God's patience and loving kindness, and no people have the market cornered on it. If Scripture tells us anything, it's that God is in the business of showing patience to unworthy candidates. This is kind of what he does. And praise the Lord for it. Because I do think we need to pause and ask, how, Paul, could you say this in Romans 9? The only reason Paul can say this is because Paul understands something. In 1 Timothy 1.15, you don't need to turn here, but I do want you to really listen to what Paul is communicating here. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Then he says, but I received mercy for this reason. You ready to hear it? Here's why I received mercy, Paul says. That in me as the foremost, that's the foremost sinner, that in me, Jesus Christ might display what? His perfect patience. 
as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. (laughs) The reality is when we start to believe the lie that we've earned grace, then we can start to be stingy with it. But when, like Paul, we realize, we're not worthy. We are not worthy. Then we begin to realize that it is the patience that God has shown on us. All of a sudden, you understand that Jesus came not for, the, not for the healthy, but the sick. That Jesus came to show mercy and patience toward unworthy recipients. Just like you. Just like you. What if God is showing his patience on a people that we don't see as worthy? Because you're not worthy. How does seeing this, understanding this, impact our lives and our prayers, our perspectives on others? We can dwell on this more, but I do have one more question. Um, and I want to push this. So, so here are the first two. What if God has a purpose, a plan that we can't see? Because he does. What if God is showing his patience on people that we don't see as worthy? Because he is. Third question. What if God is more patient than you? This one's the hardest. What if God is more patient than you? More patient than even you're comfortable with? There's a good chance your patience has an end point. It has a, it has a breaking point. Um, I think God has given us marriage and family in so many ways to sh- show us in his sanctification Your patience has breaking points. (laughs) Yet God is not like us. He is perfect in patience. What if God is more patient than you are with you? What if God is more patient than you are with them? What if God is more patient with us than you are? Because church again, he is. I was reminded uh, there's been a common refrain among Christians throughout all generations who have looked at their world and it's broken and it's sinful. We have gone through horrible things in our human history. And Christians from all generations have looked at what's going on and said, Jesus comes soon. It's the common refrain among believers. Jesus come soon. Like, looking around, you see all this brokenness in our culture, our lives, our world. And and for so many, we have thought the end times are here. We are in them. Jesus, come soon. Things are going down. If you feel that way, you're not alone. Right? We We have said this. We have proclaimed this. Evangelicals are notorious for this. We are. And I don't want to downplay this because there's truth in the fact. One day you're going to be right. (laughs) One day he is going to return. But you got to ask, why are you not? Why do you wait when it is garbage out there sometimes? When it is painful out there sometimes? With all of the sin, with all of the junk, with all of it, why don't you come, put it into it, and call us home? Usher us into paradise. Why do you wait? 
Here's the thing. Scripture tells us exactly why he waits. Peter, in 2 Peter 3, 8, he says, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. In other words, he's a lot more patient than you. Listen, then Peter says this, For the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness. But what? He is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The question is, why has he not returned? The answer is, because he is more patient than you. (laughs) Praise God that he is more patient than you. More patient with you. Slow to anger. Abounding in steadfast love to you. All of human history has been story after story of God's patience with his people. We look at the Old Testament, the people of Israel. Oh my goodness. We read it on our vantage point. We say, oh, you're frustrating. But God was patient. We read about, you know, the heroes of the faith. We think of David and Moses. Oh, God was patient. Jesus, so patient with his disciples who just don't ever seem to get it. I mean, they're seeing the Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah, and they're busy arguing about who gets the seat next to him. What? Patience. We think about God being patient with the church. If there is one organization who has had some tough times, Messy history full of brokenness and sin. And yet God in all love has patiently endured. He is patient with nations. He is patient with kingdoms. Our God is patient. And I don't want you to hear me wrong because one day, one day there is coming a day when every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. There will be a day of judgment. For example, we read in... in, the Old Testament about Sodom and Gomorrah, there came a day when it was done. Because our God is holy and just and sin will be dealt with. But as a preacher and teacher of Scripture, standing on what this says and teaches, I love the fact that I can stand in front of you and say with complete joy and complete confidence, your God is patient with you. And if you're here in this room, the patience of your God has not run dry. Your God is patient with you, far more patient with you than you are with you. We cry out for God to get rid of evil out of our world. Yet rather than just taking it and burning it all to the ground, he doesn't do that. No, what he does is he puts this grand and beautiful plan of redemption, calling in perfect people out of death to life, a plan of patient, long-suffering, and perfect love. He's more patient than me. We, we might cry out, God, take out all this evil, but our text as we see, says, says, no, 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 no. Instead of burning it all up in an instant, what does our text said, say? It says that he 
is patiently enduring in order to make himself known all the more. Our God is not only the potter. Please hear me. He's not only the potter. Church, he is the patient potter. And I want to bring all this together, all right? So I want to ask these. Here's our question. So what if God has a purpose and plan that we can't see? He does. What if God is showing his patience on people who we don't see as worthy? He does and is. And what if God is more patient than you? I can say with 100% certainty, he is. So then what do we do? What is our response to this, to Romans 9, this part? Well, we trust the patient potter. We trust he who is sovereign and good and in control. And we seek to imitate him. So I have a challenge for all of us today. Um, this one's going to be hard. Like, it's, this one's going to be hard. And it's going to be good. Here's my challenge. Sometime today, maybe tomorrow morning even, that would be great. Um, I would love for you just to sit down. Take a moment. Maybe open with prayer and ask that God would just speak and be there with you. But then what I'd like for you to do in this moment is to take an inventory of how patient your God has been with you. Maybe you want to do this as a big game, like think of the whole trajectory of your life. Maybe you want to just think, that's too hard. I'm just going to go with today. You can do that too. Take a moment. Meditate on God's patience with you. Think about it. Put, maybe even put pen to paper. I mean, you know you. This shouldn't be hard once you start really, really doing it. But just sit down and and think about all the ways that your God has been patient with you. Meditate on it. Give thanks for it. Worship your God for it. And then when you have that inventory, when you've sat with that for a while, Here's the challenge. Dedicate yourself to being that patient with others. I told you this one's going to be hard. (laughs) Make the patience that you have been shown the same level of the patience you seek to give. And start near you. Start with your family. Start with your your kids, your, your friends, your coworkers. Don't forget your church family. Bring it on in here too. Oh, and even with the more anonymous people that frustrate you to no end on social media, even let it trickle to them when they post things and you're like, oh, so frustrating. Patience. Show them the patience that God has shown you. I admit, as I said, this one's going to be hard. And let me push this a little further. You're not going to do it perfectly. You're not. Um, And here's the cool thing about this challenge. It's a bit circular because when you inevitably fail fail at this and you, you fail to show the patience you know you should, guess what? You get to come to your God the next day. You get to confess that, repent, and you have something else to add to your list of ways that your God has been patient with you. And then you have a fresh new opportunity then to then show that level of patience with others. 
It's a bit circular. It just builds. Once you start doing this, you start, you can't stop. We have an opportunity to show the patience of God with others, to image our God in this way. So here's the, the pushback I have as we, as we finish. Sometimes with Romans 9, we can come to it, and there's so many things here that are mystery, that are beyond us, and theologians have just like camped here their whole life and just haven't even plumbed this dry yet. I mean, it's just beautiful. And, and what we can do is we, come, we can come to this and try to know it all, fix it all. Um, here's my encouragement to us, though, as we work through Romans 9. Instead of us trying to know it all, trying to fix it all, instead of us trying to be the potter, or, or, or instead of us trying to explain all of the potter's ways, instead of us explaining or trying to explain all of the potter's decisions. Instead of us, our lump of clay, getting frustrated at other lumps of clay for being lumps of clay, here's the call. It's as simple as this. Trust the patient potter and seek to imitate that patience with ourselves and others. That's the call today. Trust the patient potter and then seek to imitate that patience toward yourself and to others. Listen, before I, I close this in prayer, um, our friends at Crossway, uh, maybe when you walked in, you saw a table just full of books. It's a good day. Um, our friends at Crossway donated to us so many copies of this book. It's called Gentle and Lowly. Um, this is one of those books that we need to read. This is one of those books that doesn't just remind us of what Jesus has done for us. It reminds us who Jesus is, his character. Chiefly, the fact that he is gentle and lowly. So much of this book deals with exactly what we have started to talk about here today, his patience and long-suffering with you. And it goes deeper because it doesn't just say that our God is patient. This book tries to... push in to talk about why he is patient because of who he is. So here's, the, here's what I'd like to do. Um, I'd like, I, I, we have enough, I believe, to give every person two, two copies. One is to read. The other is to give. So if you can think of someone in your life who, who could, could, Come to know Jesus as this patient and sovereign and loving, gentle and lowly Savior. If you have someone in your life who needs this message, I just want you to be able to hand this to them. If no one comes to your mind right now, um, pray that the Lord would lead. And then after you read your copy, then you have another one to give. So, so Right now, in the back, when on your way out, we're going to make sure to hand you two books. And I know it feels noble to say, no, 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 it's okay. These were donated for this reason. So don't tread on that. Take them. All right? Even if you're new with us, a visitor with us, this church is awesome. We just give away books. All right? <laughs> Take a book on your way out. Um, and let's let God continue to do this work. Let me pray for us, church. God, we, um, we rest in your patience. You are perfectly patient all of the time. 
we know ourselves, we know that we so often we fail, we fall, we are less patient than we need to be. But God, you never fail, you never fall. You are always perfect in your love and patient towards us. So God, we stand on that. We stand on the fact that we do not have all the answers, know all the answers. We do not know your timing. We do not know it. But we trust in you who knows all things, sovereign over all things, who has a plan that's bigger than us for a people that's beyond our comprehension. And Lord, you are more patient than we could ever be. Thank you for the patience that you have had with us, your grace that you have shown to us. And now we pray that you would show that same grace, compassion, and mercy to the people in our lives, in our community, that they would know the patience of our God the way that we do. We give you glory in Jesus' name.